Thank you for listening to another message from New Sound Church and our lead pastor, Josh Monty. For more information about us, you can check out our website at newsound.church, or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We want to thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Share your story with us at story at newsound.church. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, good morning and... uh... Welcome to New Sound. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh Monty, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. And you're coming in at a great time. We're coming in on the seventh week of a series that we've called Famous Last Words. And you may not know this if you haven't been around church for a while, but Jesus actually said seven things from the cross, some questions, some statements. And the way we've kind of approached the series was that this was the worst day of his life. We call it Good Friday. In the Christian faith, it's called Good Friday, but there was nothing good about it for him. This was the worst day of his life. And so we began to say, if we could begin to look at how he got through the worst day of his life, maybe uh, we'd have an opportunity to figure out how to get through some bad days. I think there's, there's three people in the room. There's people that are in a bad day right now, and I want you to know that God has a grace for you, and he cares for you, and he hasn't forgotten about you. But we've got people that are coming out of a bad day you feel like you've been in that season and kind of dry bones are starting to come to life and then for some of you right now you feel like you're like you may not know this but you are heading into something there's just it's there's a bad day coming and so we've got to know how to navigate in this faith how to make it through a bad day our theme verse for the series has been this it's Hebrews chapter 12 in the message paraphrase we're saying it this way keep your eyes on on Jesus who both began and finished the race that we're in, study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When we're, each week we've kind of take a look at some new lessons that we can learn from um, these moments of Christ on the, on the cross. And I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of these, to go back and watch them online. We have a new sound app. And actually, as you're taking notes today, my personal preference would be for you to take those in the app. I think it's a great place for you to keep them. You can send them to yourself. Go back and read them later where you're not copying down verses and scriptures in these notes. Those will all come up on the app. But then you can add your own thoughts or maybe something that God's speaking to you in those notes as well. So download the New Sound Church app and I think it'll be a great resource for you. Uh, we're finishing up today in the series, and it will, it'll take us to Luke uh, chapter 23. And the Bible says in the 44th verse, it says, it was now at about the sixth hour. So I want to stop there and say that means noon. Um, that's, they, they marked the hours from the time that the sun came up. So s- the sixth hour, which would be noon. And then it says, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. So until three o'clock from 12 to noon for three hours, it was dark for the sun stopped shining. Now I like, I, I, I want to keep going, but I want to stop actually for just a moment. And I think it's worth reading you a couple of citations from some extra biblical accounts, meaning some historians that are outside of the Bible, had nothing to do with Christianity, had nothing to do with the Jewish faith, had nothing to do with that, that wrote some things down. There was a Greek historian named uh, Phlegon who wrote an extensive chronology at around A.D. 137, and he says this, 
in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, which happened in A.D. 33, um, there was a great eclipse of the sun. And it became night, and I think this is a, this, this ought to blow your mind. It became night in the sixth hour of the day. So that stars even appeared to the heavens. There was a great earthquake, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. So he's an extra biblical account. A Greek historian says hey, in, in 33 AD, it got dark in the middle of the day. Africanus, another historian, wrote on the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness. And the rocks, we find out in Matthew that there was an earthquake, were rent by an earthquake and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. These are not Christian historians. These were not Jewish historians. These were people outside of the faith that said in AD 33, it got dark for no reason in the middle of the day. Well, we know that there was a reason and we know that this was the moment that Jesus was paying for the sins of the world. And then we continue on in the verse and it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn into the um, the the curtain of the temple. Excuse me. The curtain of the temple was torn into, and the curtain of the temple meant there was a veil between the holy of holies, the actual physical manifestation of the presence of God, and the people. And you could, if you step past that thing, um, that you could die. You just could not be in the presence of the holy of holies. And then the Bible said that the veil was torn, the curtain was torn, and so now you can go directly to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a preacher. You don't need any of that. You get to go straight to God, and I think you uh, should use it. Prayer is a conversation with God made possible by Jesus and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the most powerful tools in the arsenal of the believer, and so I'm just begging you not to leave your tool sitting on the ground. Pick it up and take it with you everywhere you go, so pray. And then he says this, the, uh, the, last, the last thing that he would say, uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And so this would be our lesson, lesson number seven. Finally, come on, finally, surrender your day to God. Finally, turn it all over and trust Him for the outcome. I watch so many people that are controlling output and they believe that that's like, uh, or trying to control outcomes and, and I think it's driving you crazy. You're trying to manage things that you were never created to manage, but we can't control output. And then God, God, he who loves you, when we turn our life over to him, we're going to trust him for the outcomes. Now, have you ever been in a season where things were going really, really well, and then like all of a sudden, just like overnight, they just turned? Like, I mean, like you had a job, you lost it. You had a girlfriend, you lost it. Like, uh, just you felt like you had some close friends, and they betrayed you. Like, just everything was going great, and then all of a sudden, without even really understanding how or when or why or what all happened, like it just turned. Now, I remember being, I've I've had many seasons like that. I remember one that's... um, I was uh, 20, 21 years old, um, and I had gotten a job. Finally, I'd been working third shift, and I finally got a day job, and I was able to, my, my, my whole life was able to kind of shift a little bit. I was excited. I was starting to feel a little more positive. I'd given my life to God. I was trying to, you know, I was getting plugged into the local church. Like, things were kind of moving in the right direction, and, 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 um, and I got this job working loss prevention at Bass Pro Shop. Come on, somebody. Like, I was thinking, man, I need to get me some free uh, a rod and reel, little little free Rapala, you know, little fishing lure. And I thought, man, this is going to be fantastic. So loss prevention, and they, they take me through the extensive, 
the extensive once-in-a-lifetime training process that is the loss prevention training process of the Bass Pro Shop. Okay, now you got to listen to me. Um, this was rigorous. This was rigorous. I don't want to compare myself to perhaps the Navy SEALs or Delta Force or SWAT, um, but they did take me to a back room where I was required to watch three videos on VHS. That's right. And that was like all my training. And they really had one rule. Listen, just don't leave the store. Your jurisdiction apparently um, only existed inside uh, Bass Pro Shop. Apparently, outside of the store, there were some, quote-unquote, police officers um, that were uh, trained by the government um, to do the job of protecting the community, that apparently Bass Pro Shop authority had its limits. And so they... They give me my little radio, they stand me by the door, and I'm just supposed to watch the door. And they come over to the radio, and they tell me, they say, um, <laughs> they say, um, uh, hey, we got somebody stealing a golf club. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, where'd he hide it? <laughs> I don't know, like, where'd he, like, well, I don't know about that. But we didn't have time for those kinds of questions. It was time for me to spring into action. Now, you need to remember that I'm 20, 21 years old at this time. Um, I'm about 8% body fat. I'm strong enough to pick up small houses. My body is producing somewhere between 300 and 400 gallons of testosterone a day. And they told me one rule, do not leave the store. Except these men that are still in this golf club have dishonored the great and mighty name that is Bass Pro Shop. And so I am pursuing them. And I get to the door. I have not thought through everything that I'm going to say or how I'm going to handle this moment. And so I move into a strong power stance, and I just hold my hand up, and I yell at the guy. And I say, halt, like I thought that was going to work. And he just takes off running. Like he looks at me like, you're so dumb. They didn't even give you a flashlight. And I'm like, oh, you did not. And I just take off. Now, the guy on the radio is going, stop, stop, stop. Josh, Josh, do not go. Do not pursue him. Do not leave it. Do not. And I'm just like, I got to. I will protect the honor of Bass Pro. I bulldog this guy in the parking lot. I mean, murder this dude. I hit him so hard that I know, I know one of us got concussed. Like, I, I mean, I drilled this guy. I hit him so hard. When he comes down to the ground, we go tumbling down to the ground. The golf club actually breaks. The head actually comes off the shaft. It's broken. And I stand up. And I, in that moment, like, I wanted that, like, Bruce Willis kind of like, you know, like the end of every action movie, like from the 90s, when there would be, like, that final scene with the bad guy. And he'd be like, he'd like, he'd like, like, he'd, he'd like grab, like, a mailbox and, like, hit the guy. And he would fall off the cliff. And he's like, you've got mail you know like so <laughs> stuff like that so like you'd have to so I just I wanted that didn't have that so I just walked back in and like literally I'm walking back into the store and the guy the boss that was on the radio the whole time telling me not to pursue this guy like puts his hand on my chest and he was like um you can't come back in here and I was like what man bro I look what I just did I just saved this golf club he's like first off you broke the golf club second off um you are definitely fired and, and I was like, what? Man, I just protected the honor of Bass Pro. He said, no, the one thing that you were asked not to do, you actively went and did it. That's a problem. And so then all of a sudden, my world got flipped upside down. And, and all of a sudden, I'm struggling to pay my bills. I'm struggling to pay rent. Like, I can't find another job. It doesn't look really good when people ask you, uh, what was your previous employer? And you say Bass Pro Shop, and they fired me. How long did you work there? About 80 minutes. About 80 minutes. 
Jesus in this week of his life has gone through a pretty radical change. And it's Palm Sunday. And for those of you who don't understand the significance of Palm Sunday, this is a moment where Jesus came riding into town as this victor, as this guy that was going to set all of the wrong things right. They believed that Jesus was actually going to overthrow the Roman government and actually create a situation where the, 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 the entire Hebrew nation would now be established and independent without any foreign control. And they believed that that's what it would mean for the Messiah to come. And in Matthew 21, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately you're going to find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you that you, sh- um, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he's gonna, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Well, the disciples went and did j- just as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, meaning God who saves. Look at this. This is worth underlining, highlighting in your Bible. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, God who saves in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, the whole city, you got to remember this is Passover. And so for this to be causing such a stir is a major thing. He said, so the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And they said, this is the prophet Jesus. Now this is a Sunday. And literally just a few days later, he is being arrested. On a Thursday, he has been betrayed and arrested. On a Sunday, he's a hero. And on a Thursday, he's being handed over as a criminal. And, and, I, and, 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 and I know that it had to just feel like this whirlwind. While Jesus might have understood what was happening, the disciples on a Sunday believed, we have breakthrough coming, come on. We are with the Messiah, the Savior. And then on Thursday, They have to be thinking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have hitched our wagon for the last three and a half years to somebody that can't overthrow Rome. I would just stop here and say, I think if the disciples had the perspective of us today, they would be blown away that something, that, that someone from the backside of the desert would have done all of the things that they have done. The Roman Empire is no more, but the name of Jesus still reigns. Come on, somebody. Can I get, can I get that good amen? In 2 Samuel, though, we get some context. We get some context for why this matters. Because without the history, you don't understand why coming over the Mount of Olives on a donkey, coming down this hill, had such significance to the people in that moment. I want to show it to you here. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we we come up to the story of a guy named David. David was the son of Jesse. Um, David fought Goliath. David would be anointed the next king. He survived the attacks of Saul, becomes the king over all of Israel, and then has some sons. He has a son that dies. He has a son that would go on to rule named Solomon, but he has another son by the name of Absalom. Absalom wanted the throne. Absalom wanted power. He was tired of being overlooked. And in the Bible says in 2 Samuel 15 that he began to draw the people of Israel to himself. He began to get the attention for himself 
So much so that now he has enough power where he is now coming to steal the throne from his father. And it says, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Basically, the, the city's turned. He was successful in getting people to believe in him. And then David said to all of the officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin uh, on us and put the city to the sword. And I'm going to stop and say, you got to remember that David, it had been prophesied and David had known his whole life that it had been prophesied that, that a descendant of David would reign on the throne forever. That The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. This is a writer of the Psalms. This is a guy that fought Goliath. This is a guy that's been following God his whole life. Not perfectly, but pursuing God his whole life. And now he's got to be thinking, God, you forgot all about me. I've been dedicating my life to you. And now I'm being run out of town by somebody who doesn't love you the way that I love you. And so he says, so the king set out with all the people following and they halted at the edge of the city and all his men marched past him. And then verse 30, but David continued, check this out, up the Mount of Olives. Sound familiar? He's weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. He's, it's almost, you can see it, right? He's leaving on this Mount of Olives. Let's continue. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Zeba, the steward of Mephibosheth. Now, if you're looking for a good boy name, you guys are pregnant, ladies, looking for a boy name, um, he would be the only Mephibosheth in his class. So I'm just saying, like, you just do whatever you want to do. He'd be the only Mephibosheth. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. And the king said, why have you brought these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei, and I think you need to underline and remember this name, was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. I need you to see something. That in this moment, David, the worst moment of his life, he's riding out of town on a donkey, Head covered, feet barefoot. He's lost everything. He is being showered with dirt and rocks and curses. So you need to understand that when Jesus, 1,000 years later, came over that hill, having done some of the miracles that he had done, having taught in a way that they had never seen before, when they saw Jesus coming over that hill, they knew immediately what you and I would miss because we didn't have the historical context of David. They knew what we missed. They saw the king has returned. Like he is back he is coming back. It was promised that the son of David, which is why they shouted in the streets, Hosanna, God who saves, to the son of David. God, you promised us that somebody from the throne of David would reign over this region forever and ever and ever and would never be dethroned. And now, God, you have sent the king on a donkey back over this hill. 
And isn't it just like Jesus that on his way to the cross, on his way to setting the world back right, on his way to pay for the sins of brokenness and, and, and destruction that we bring upon ourselves and that the world seems to be bringing upon us, isn't it, a, isn't it just like Jesus that on his way to that moment that the first thing that he would do on his path to the cross would be to redeem the worst moment of David's life? David rode out of town on a donkey up the Mount of Olives, showered with rocks and curses and dirt. Jesus came into town, down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, being shouted with praises and glory and with honor. God redeemed that moment in David's life. And so our lesson today would be out of this word, finally surrender your day to God and trust Him for the outcome. How do we do it? In just the few minutes we have remaining, let me give you the lessons that we have learned as we have gone through this um, this series and I think it's going to help you understand so you need to understand something um, the Psalms were written by David and this week I actually took the time to lay out the Psalms in the order of chronology of David's life and so as you begin to piece together the Psalms that are not in your Bible in chronological order they're grouped by ideas when you begin to group them in terms of their um, the event that was happening as they were being recorded. It's like getting a picture into David's diary 3,000 years later. And I want to show you some striking similarities as Jesus was going through the cross and modeling for us what it would mean to fully commit your spirit over to God. Commit all of your life over to Him. We said in one week of the series that one of our lessons was to help someone who is going through your same problem. Like you need to help someone that's going through your same. Jesus looked at the, the criminals on the left and the right and he said, uh, truly today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Well, look at Psalm 41. As, as he is fleeing, David writes this. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord will deliver them in times of trouble. He said, God, don't forget in Psalm 10, arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless, Psalm 10, 12. He said, don't forget, God. Don't forget that there are people around me right now that are hurting, and I'm going to take care of the people that are hurting. We said to help someone who is going through your same problem. The other lesson we learned was that as Jesus looked down, he saw Mary down there hurting. He said, Mom, this is your son. Son, this is your mama. And we said this lesson, you aren't the only one going through a bad day, that there are other people that are struggling. There are other people that are hurting as well. And in Psalm 10, David is reminding himself, but you know all about it. The contempt, the abuse. I dare to believe that the luckless, look, look he understands, we're not, I'm not the only one in this mess, will get lucky someday in you. You won't let them down. The orphans, well, see, they're not going to be orphans forever. You aren't the only one having a bad day. At this point, I, I need you to begin to see that Jesus was being incredibly intentional in the seven things that he was doing on the cross. As he came into town on this Palm Sunday on the donkey, he was communicating to the community, I am the son of David. I am the prophesied Messiah. I am the one that will reign on this throne forever. I am who the prophets said would come. I am that person. And so as he's modeling, as he's redeeming the worst day of David's life, he's intentional about first 
helping somebody who's going through the same struggle. He's intentional about making sure that he remembers he's not the only one having a bad day. And then we said that you can aim your hard questions at God, not, not man. That Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, Laba Saktani, God, why have you forgotten me in my pain? That we, we, we've said in, in one week, we said, like, you need to, like, it, it is okay. Your questions will never make God less God. You can go to God and you can say, God, I don't understand. I am hurting and I have pain. And you can go to God and you can be honest about that. But look at Psalm 22. As David is fleeing Absalom, fleeing for his life, look at these words and tell me if you think it's a coincidence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I have no rest he's saying God I am struggling why do you have me in this position I know that as he was riding out of town he said he's saying God I don't understand I've tried to live my life to serve and to follow you and I don't understand why you have me in the situation that I'm in my God my God why have you forsaken me it was not a coincidence that Jesus used the exact words on the cross 1,000 years later what we see is Jesus ministering to the people of getting through a bad day what we miss is that Jesus was also connecting himself very intentionally to the throne of David to let the people know I am the Messiah and you can put your trust in me and then we said in, in, in In one week we said we've got to be honest enough to admit when you have a need. Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, I thirst. Like one of the things that God will never remove from you is your humanity. Like he just, and and, and some of us are never going to really get through a bad day until we find somebody that we can be transparent and honest and a little vulnerable with. And in Psalm 22, um, he's calling back. So we see I thirst and, and it is Jesus being intentionally transparent in this moment but he is also you got to remember he's intentionally tying himself back to David to the throne of David in Psalm 22 it says my mouth is dried up like a pot shard I'm thirsty my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death dogs surround me a pack of villains encircle me and then look at this they pierce this is Psalm written a thousand years they pierce my hands and my feet. They didn't pierce the hands and feet of David. So what is he talking about? He's prophesying to the Messiah. So David is reaching forward a thousand years to say this is what's going to happen to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I thirst to reach back a thousand years and let them know I'm the one he was talking about. So we said we got to be honest enough to admit when you have a need. And then and then Jesus, and last week we discussed it in this way, he said, to telestai, which it's, we said would take all the words that have ever been said and all the words that would ever be said to sum up what this moment means in the history of humanity and the significance. But we said it is finished. We can trust God for the salvation. We can trust God for the outcome. We can trust him and he is worthy. Psalm 53, David is writing, he said, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. God restores his people. It's finished. I can trust him. Now, as I went back through the Psalms and realized that David 
was prophetically reaching forward a thousand years to speak to the moment of Christ on the cross. And that Christ, as He came in on that donkey, as He said the things He said from the cross, was intentionally reaching back a thousand years to point to the throne of David. I found where He ministered to people that were going through a bad day. I found verses where He was ministering to people and showing compassion. I saw him aim his hard questions at God, not just people. And I saw him be honest enough to admit that he had a need. I, I saw David admit that it was finished, that God would bring about the salvation, that God would get the victory. But as I began to go through the Psalms that tied to the moments of his relationship with Absalom, him getting kicked out of the city, him not knowing if he would ever be restored, I noticed that there was something glaringly missing from his words. And in 1 Kings, you want to talk about some famous last words? In 1 Kings, we get the last words of Jesus, or excuse me, of David. The final recorded sentences from his mouth. And in the second chapter, it says, And remember... You have with you Shimmy. Now I'm going to stop and say, do you remember Shimmy? I told you to underline it in your Bibles. When David was being run out of town, it was Shimmy who was running up, along and, uh, up and down the hillside alongside of him, showering him with rocks, dirt, and curses. And David, as an old man, says, You have with you Shimmy, son of Gera, the Benjamite, who called down bitter curses on me the day when he came down to meet me at the Jordan I swore to him by the Lord I will not put you to death by the sword wow there was some grace there was some grace but now do not consider him innocent he's dying he knows the life is fading out of him and he says, you are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. And then David rested with his ancestors who was buried in the city of David. He had it. David had the opportunity to finish well. He had the opportunity to let this guy off the hook. And in some famous last words, the last moment of his life on earth, David said, do not forget to pay back the men who hurt me. So Jesus rides into town on a donkey. They shout, Hosanna, son of David. He goes to the cross. And knowing that he was going to paint the picture clearly that he was the prophesied one. He was the one to fulfill the promise of an heir to David reigning over God's people forever. He would say things like, I thirst, and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would minister to the people's needs around him, remembering that he wasn't the only one in a bad day.
and he would trust God for the outcome. But he knew what you and I can never miss, that the only way to really commit your life over to God and trust him for the outcomes was to do the one thing that David failed to do in the end. And as they nailed him to that cross and they lifted him up over that crowd, the first thing that came out of his mouth were words that David couldn't say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus knew that his last words David, you missed it, but I'm going to lead with it. Because in the first week of this series, in the last week of this series, and in every week for the rest of our lives, we cannot forget that the forgiven forgive. They came to him at the end of his life, and they said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But the second is like it. You have to love your neighbor as yourself and he said I cannot separate the love of God with the love of people I see people that know how to sing songs and worship and preach messages that are bad to people and it's hard for me to reconcile how we know a bunch of Bible verses but aren't compassionate to people and if you really want to follow the lesson of the final moment of Christ when he said God to you today I commit my spirit I give my life over to you if you're ever going to really have a true heart for God, if you're ever really going to fully surrender your life to Him, you're going to have to do all the things we've talked about through this whole series, but you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to understand that a true heart for God will lead to a deep commitment to people. If Jesus couldn't separate loving each other from loving God, then neither can we. Let's pray. God, today we know that we aren't strong enough to do this on our own. Jesus, I thank you that not only did you defeat hell and the grave and you took the keys of hell from the devil and you have made a way for us to live forever with the Father. I thank you that you modeled forgiveness. Jesus, I thank you that you modeled compassion. And Jesus, I thank you that time and time again you have shown us that you want a relationship with us. But God, I recognize that for some of us today, we've never really surrendered our lives over to you. If we're 100% honest, we're still, we, God, we like the idea of you as Savior, but we reject the notion of you as Lord. But not today. We say today, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Into thy hands I commit everything that I am. I commit... Uh, God, breaking the spirit of selfishness over my life where I would be the main focus. God, I, I, just this, this spirit of unforgiveness and resentment and offense. God, all of these things, God, we ask you to do something in our hearts right now and change us. God, we thank you of the, for the life of David, but we thank you for the example of Christ that showed that we can't separate loving you and loving other people. And so today we choose love, God, today we choose forgiveness and today we choose grace. But I recognize today, God, that there are people today right now listening to this that have never really given their lives over to you. Church, you need to understand that religion will complicate it. Jesus made it simple. 
acknowledge the sin that's in your life. You have to acknowledge that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. But you have to recognize you don't get to go to heaven by how nice you are or cleaning up your act. So we say today, God, I acknowledge the sin that's in my life. Then we say, Jesus, I believe you are who the Bible says that you are. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, and now I'm going to do my best to live for you. And so in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. I don't just need a Savior. I need a Lord. I don't need my way of doing life. I commit my life over to you. And today we choose, as we wrap up this series, we say, into thy hands I commit my spirit. We love you. We thank you. We choose to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We know you changed lives today. We thank you for letting us be a part of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you join us at New Sound for one of our weekend experiences. Check out our website for times and directions at newsound.church. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Please share your story with us at story at newsound.church.